welcome to the Star Parent Podcast. Today we are going to have a conversation with myself and Celeste Eitzen and Lorraine. Um, as somebody myself who has worked as a couple and family therapist for almost a decade now and has been an educator with children for um, several years, I wanted to get into a conversation with Lorraine about modeling and how as educators and as parents and as professionals, how modeling is important for parents to learn and for children to learn. So today on the podcast, we have our resident podcaster, Lorraine. (laughs) Hello, everyone. And um, as I was saying in the intro, it'd be really great to have a conversation around modeling because as educators and professionals, it's a, it's a way for us to teach and to give information. And I just think it's really important for parents to learn about what are the downfalls, what are the benefits, and what are the various ways of modeling that we've learned that kind of work or don't work. Hmm. See, these, these types of, like, I guess, frames or compartments don't work and don't and work. It jogs me a bit because it's like we're in different states all the time, right? So it's so, I just, for me, I'm realizing as I'm going to this parenting journey second time around, modeling is like just, I want a normalized human behavior. So meaning the imperfectness of being human mm-hmm. and normalizing that with our children. So there's going to be times where there's moments where our behaviors are not the greatest, but like you always say, Anne Celeste, the repair, when the repair is there, it, it makes everything of a, a, a difference. Right. So anyway, I'm just no, starting the that, conversation out with there's no, there's no bad or good. It's like, what do we do with that experience? Exactly. That's where the, yeah. And I'd love to maybe know a bit like what you were trained to learn what modeling is because for me as a therapist, I do model being human and making mistakes. That's actually the most powerful tool that I do in my modeling, right? It's just, oh, I messed up. It's okay that I messed up. It's okay if you mess up. And, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm taking some time off because I'm feeling a bit burnt out. I have to show you that I need to take care of myself and encourage you as parents to also take care of yourselves. So uh, modeling for me is not a perfect way of doing things an imperfect way of normalizing okay yeah maybe there's something in terms of like uh your training which taught modeling in a very specific way we can i can learn about and we can unpack that a little bit well see one of the things i also know is modeling as an educator is so different than modeling as a parent mm-hmm. because when you're modeling as an educator you have this specific amount of time that you're on and you know you're being watched, you know you're being observed, and you can kind of tailor your behaviors for that audience. But as a parent, you're in this mode of security because you're in your home, everything's relaxed, or hopefully so, or you're more chill to be yourself. And that's what your children are watching is when you're being yourself. So I'd say I'm so different. When I'm modeling as an educator, I'm definitely being aware, aware of my like enunciation of my words and my tone and, you know, my breathing, my level of height. Like if I'm at the child's level, uh, 
and as a, I mean, not to say that I don't do that as a parent, but I'm just more aware when I'm in my work mode. Right. You're on, you're like on, you're in your work mode and you're seeing how can I make everything I'm doing teachable? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. A bit of a performance, you know, in a, in a positive way. Right. Yes, exactly. So, but with, with Sparrow, I'm thinking, yeah, there's definitely some behaviors that I don't like that I model um, because I'm just living, Mm -hmm. but that's just, that's my, that's, that's, that's my world. So, and he's a part of that. Yeah. And I think it's really great to actually model mess and imperfection to children because they're going to be messy and they're going to be imperfect and they're going to have big feelings and they're going to lose their SHIT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we do that and we make it okay to say, you know what, we can go to those places, we can come back from those places. It's kind of a relief, you know, if we're perfect all the time in our modeling, then that probably creates a lot of anxiety for a child to feel like they have to live up to that modeled standard, you know? Mm-hmm. That was actually one of the questions from one of our Facebook um, followers. They'd asked about, you know, what happens when we as a parents have big feelings and how can we model that to our children? And I was like, oh yeah, that's a very good question. We had talked about jealousy in a previous episode, but, mm-hmm. you know, just dealing with stuff of like, accountability uh, and disappointment. Yeah. I mean, I actually really lean into that as a family therapist when there's big feelings I encourage parents to show their big feelings to their children if their child is having tantrums or having a hard time regulating you know I say you can use words to say oh mama's really angry today and she needs to go for a walk or she's gonna scream Mm. or I say you know take a moment and say, I need to go scream in the bathroom and yell into my pillow. And parents are like, I can't do that in front of my child. And I'm like, but you're literally telling them <laughs> that that's what they should do more than words. What really impacts children is they copy us, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. So you went out after we talked about having this podcast today and you went into the Facebook forum and you asked a question about modeling and you got some responses is that right yes yes tell me about what was the question and what were some of the responses so one was like I said how do we manage big feelings another one was saying how do we model when we're yelling at our partner um, another one said that the areas that they need to work on in modeling is for their toddler is patience and for their teenager is modeling healthy relationships with friends which I thought that was quite interesting. And that person went on into uh, having dignity and accountability with friendships and relationships. She also asked, uh, somebody else asked about self-respect, how we model self-respect to our children. And she referenced a work situation um, Mm. where she felt that she wasn't respecting herself. And I thought these are really great to kind of brush over a little bit because, you know, I, I, I picked up this quote the other day and it says all relationships are going somewhere and we need to take the reins of where we want, want them to go. And with our children, it's like we want to ultimately get to the point where our children are coming to us no matter what. And one of the best ways to establish a relationship like that is to be authentic 
as possible. And it doesn't mean like dumping everything on your child that's going on in your life, but definitely, I guess, uh, labeling your, your feelings, labeling what's going on so your child can be aware of like, what's, what's going on with mom right now? She seems really frustrated. I had a bad day at work today. Ooh, mom had a bad day at work. Child can put that into uh, a story. Okay, mom looks like this. Mom is acting like this. Maybe she had a bad day at work. And you know, is this, is this making sense? It's, it's, I think that that's such a great way of saying it in that modeling behavior doesn't have to mean having good or perfect behavior. It's about scaffolding and making sense of the behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, so to say like, yeah, I came home and I was quiet. I was shut down. I maybe banged a couple of cupboards around. And then to say, you know what, little one, like, I had a bad day. A friend of mine hurt my feelings or somebody Mm. was rude to me and I'm having a big feeling about it. And that's why you're seeing these behaviors is because I have this emotion. You don't have to stop the emotion, but if you can make sense of it and the child is not going to think maybe they did something wrong or just not understand, right? And be alone in it. And also in doing that modeling, that helps the adult regulate, right? Yes, absolutely. I've written down can we just be toddlers again? Because, you know, toddlers have that primitive behavior of getting out their emotions, whatever it is. Like you, you, anybody that has a toddler knows like in a span of five minutes, that person can be extremely happy and joyful and then flat out on the ground, freaking the fuck out, excuse my language, because of (laughs) the peel of the banana didn't come off the right way. So it's like, you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. And it's like, that behavior that just getting that energy out is something that adults don't have enough of so yes when you said coming home and banging the cupboards I was like yeah that's some primitive behavior right there like we need something to get that energy out a hundred percent and I tell some of my parents like have a tantrum have (laughs) like keep be safe and then say like I'm having a tantrum you know some people get annoyed when like toddlers or babies are screaming and freaking out and I'll have this big smile on my face and people are saying why are you smiling it's like I'm just (laughs) living vicariously through this child right now because sometimes like I want to scream irrationally and bang on the floor and lose it for for no good reason <laughs> I want, and so I enjoy watching that process I mean you know I think it doesn't always feel that good if you're in a store and there's shame and mm-hmm. a lot of other things but you're right I think normalizing that people freak out you know people have emotions is really healthy um, and yeah how we interact with our partners is also important right because There's a difference between um, expressing anger and acting in aggressive or violent behaviors. So Mm -hmm. feelings and behaviors are different things. We don't necessarily want to model unhealthy behaviors, but there's no unhealthy feelings, right? Right. And that's like a big lesson to, to kind of learn and to teach. It's okay if my mom and my dad are angry at each other and they're having a healthy, like anger is fine, you know, and, oh, I'm learning from them. What are their tools to cope with having a healthy fight, right? Versus when people don't identify and acknowledge their feelings, then their behaviors become passive aggressive or full on aggressive. And 
the child is learning from the behaviors versus from the regulation of emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these that takes a lot of maturity from the two adults that are in that moment, especially the, if adults are triggered and they're having issues controlling their own feelings and reactions to those feelings and whether or not they're even could be honest with their true feelings, not their reaction to the feeling, but they're true honest with the feeling and being honest with their partner all in that moment. For sure. Uh, super duper duper challenging. Yes. And I don't have an answer for how anybody manages that other than being aware of your breath, like how you're breathing, just focus on something that's calming in that moment. Sometimes just taking a moment to be paused. Yeah. And if you have a great partner, that your partner might even be in tune with, oh, there's a moment now where we just need to like be a little bit more in control of what we're giving off, especially if there's a child around. Yeah, I think sometimes we do have to step into an adult place and say, there's a child here. This is going to be different. Um, but it is really hard. I think yeah. I think of my model, you know, which was my, my grandparents, because my parents were separated since I was so small. I mm. never saw them in conflict. You know, I never saw them together at all. So I looked for other models of parents when I babysat. And when my grandparents would get into fights, you know, they had this like ritual of a fight where my grandfather would get upset and he would swear under his breath to himself in French. And then he would go out for a walk. And sometimes he would slam the door and he would always come back. And sometimes it would be a 10 minute walk. Sometimes it would be a 30 minute walk. And then he would come back and he would repair with my grandma and he would sit down and he would calmly talk to her about what had happened but for him he needed to move he needed to move his body and as a couple they needed a timeout. you know just like we separate children sometimes when they're fighting yes as adults we also need to do that yes it's it's a modeling it's absolutely sometimes we need to take the models from the children yes (laughs) what do we do to the children in these situations (laughs) Uh, absolutely and as a couples therapist i often say to people you don't have to solve this all right now. You know, it also leads back into attachment because if one person's attachment style is they want to go until it's finished and figured out and the other person wants space, there's compromise to get figured out there. Mm-hmm. So it's a tall order, as you said. It's definitely challenging. Um, but I thought that's a great question that person asked about how do we model, um, yeah, fighting with our partners in front of our children Sometimes it's okay if we don't know how to do that to just have those things happen when children are at school or away from us. Well, we don't always have that choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Like my parents are hardcore old school Jamaican when I was growing up. And uh, their arguments consisted of, you know, one person being downstairs and the other person being upstairs and they're just yelling back and forth, back and forth. And then my dad would go outside and then two minutes later, he'd come back in. And then my mom would come up halfway up the stairs. And then she'd go back downstairs and then they'd be quiet for another second. And Rudy's like, and then someone would come back in. And it was just like this. And then that would happen for the, like, a day. And then the next day. My dog. <laughs> Layla. I know, yeah, Layla's yeah. like. <laughs> she, was, she was barking with you there. <laughs> I know. The next day or so, 
they would just emerge from their bedroom and everything would be cool again. Like they're talking, everyone's, they're back on the same page and we're just like tiptoeing going, is everything cool? All right, everything's good. All right, everything's good. Everybody back together. You know, like it was just like, that's, it was like this gear that would just slow down and then eventually just go back into alignment again. So it depends on everybody's household is so, so different and how they, and we're not taught this. Right. We're not taught this in school, like how to have an argument with your sibling, with your parent, with your teacher and come out on the other side where everybody's at peace. We're not taught this. We're just here to experience it. And it's like we navigate with the experience. Right. And it's okay that it happens differently in different families. Like in some families that kind of arguing, like it didn't phase anybody. You know what I mean? It was healthy. It was like, okay, this is normal for me. And another family when people, you know, don't express at all and are like very tight upper lip, like that would feel very uncomfortable, you know, if they're exposed to a partner whose family did it differently. Right. Mm -hmm. So those like, I like the fact that there was a bit of yelling in my house because it felt like we were getting our feelings out. You know, sometimes I had friends who never had yelling in their house and I was like, but how do you get, how do you work through it? How do you release some of that? You know, I hate you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, in your heart, you didn't believe it. You need to be a bit dramatic. And that was my experience, but then sometimes it can be too much too. So I think for, to have some intention after the fact, you know, to say, okay, okay, little ones, like we had, we had a big argument yesterday, but today we worked through it. Just that scaffolding again, right. Being able to Mm -hmm. explain what happened that can be really regulating for children to know we don't have to worry if they're still fighting or not. They've told us that yeah. they've normalized and modeled that for us. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. A really good point. You know, what's uh, difficult and somebody didn't bring it up in the Facebook group, but kind of alluded to it with their partner um, when they were talking about addiction, because you, whether you um, agree with us or not, if you have an addiction, you're modeling that to your child Mm -hmm. Uh, whether they whether they see it directly or not it's the energy it's that the feeling that you have towards it that's that's being picked up so she was asking about you know well that she wasn't asking it just kind of alluded to when children observe addiction in the household because it's behavior that's being modeled I mean that's a very interesting one because First of all, I think there's studies that show that there's a, there is a genetic component to addiction, um, often being one of the intergenerational traumas and the um, genetics that can, that can be impacted. And yes, on top of that, there's a modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people will be turned off of addictions because they've had their parent model that to them and they were so... Um, yeah. you know, I, and I know a lot of adults whose parents were addicts and they never became addicts because they learned through that. Mm-hmm. And then other times it, it, it becomes, you know, um, something that gets passed on. So I, I definitely, um, encourage parents when they are finding their balance with their addiction or they're going through sobriety to model that right? Mm -hmm. You can model to say, hey, I'm in therapy right now, or I'm in 12 steps, or I'm, you know, this was a challenge for me. And my, my dad did it too, or my mom did it too. And this is what's helping me get better. 
as opposed to not talking about it. Mm-hmm. Because I think the biggest modeling that happens is through actions versus conversations. Yep. And so if we can say, oh, you're seeing my behaviors, but you're not, we're not talking about it. Let's talk about it a bit. You know, you saw me using for years and years and years, but you don't see or hear anything about my healing recovery process. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about that process too. So, you know, you can also have that support when you need. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a powerful, a powerful question, but it's human, you know, cause to think, Oh, I'm high. If any parent thinks that they can hide, you know, something from their child, I haven't experienced them as a family therapist or in the world, like children usually pick up on that, pick up if you're sick and you don't want them to know, they think you're dying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. if you're, something's happening they 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 just feel like they have to hide it as well mm-hmm. and now for a small segment from Lelichi League's book The Womanly Art of Breastfeeding children are people with feelings capabilities and limitations that vary from child to child month to month moment to moment If we work within those changing strengths and limits and look for the need that drives the behavior, if we show love and consistency, if we respect them as people who are trying their best to adjust to this strange planet they find themselves on with us, if they know they are loved, most likely it will all come out fine in the end, no matter how much we stumble along the way. Another type of addiction that doesn't get, well, I guess it gets talked about, but not so much in the same way as like drugs or alcohol, but technology, Mm. you know, because we are modeling behaviors for our children. And it seems like it's normalized now as ages of nine months old to have a screen in your hand or access to a screen. Yeah. Oh, I think that's such a, such an important point. I have so many parents who say, I want my child off of their screen. They always give me a fight for the TV or for the iPad. And sometimes I've got to find this gentle way, you know, to be like, how often are you on your phone in front Mm -hmm. of me? And, you know, even when I come over and we have like a hangout with Sparrow, like if I grab my phone to take a picture or to do something, he, he like focuses on it right away. Yeah, because we're a screenless house here. So when anybody takes anything out, he's like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I see his reaction. Then I usually find his place to put my phone and I put mm-hmm. it away because I don't want to model to him, yeah. you know. Also, I, it's, it's a good reminder, right? That's him modeling to me. I'm yeah. super present with whatever yeah. we're doing. And if you're <laughs> present with your phone, then I'm going to be present with your phone. Yeah. And then we're not being present in other types of play. So, um, I think that's, I think it's so important because there's a lot of times where we say, do this. And then we, we tell the children to do something, don't do this. And then we're doing the thing and they're learning from what we're doing, not what we're saying. And it's so challenging now because with the pandemic, I mean, parents are forced to be at home working, children are being homeschooled, everything's on screens anyways. And then when they're at school all day on screen, they want to come, they want to come home. They're our home and they want to relax. What are most children nowadays? It's on a screen. It's like, it's rare. They'll be like, let's just go outside in the backyard. I'm hoping parents still do that. Push their children outdoors, whether they like it or not. 
go outside. Um, but sometimes it's like, I want to stay inside and play video games. It's like, okay, man, you had a hard day at school in front of a screen. Let's just right. sit down in front of a screen. It's like, ugh. Um, and, and that's what's happening. And if the parent wants to wind down by scrolling on their social media yeah. or by binging Netflix, then they're modeling that too, you know? Yeah. And I think it's cool when families can find rituals and structures like yeah okay we all have to go outside and to go outside with your children when you want them to you know or yeah. do something in your body like okay I'm gonna do yoga for 60 minutes and you're gonna go play outside um in the Jewish culture and like orthodox families people who observe the sabbath there's no electronics um one day a week from sundown on friday to sundown on saturday and there's like a few different religious rules that have to be followed. And I've worked in that community. And I had a 10-year-old once say, I love that time because my parents aren't on their phone. My brother's not on his computer. And we play games together as a family. Mm. We're all really – and it's not a debate. It's not – It's they they practice it because that that's their spiritual Ritual. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know – it doesn't have to come from a dogma or a spiritual belief, but it can be practiced to say, you know what, if the weather is beautiful outside, screens are off, you know, yeah. if it's a rainy yeah. day, okay, we can, then we, then that's a special day, you know, where we can get a little bit more techie. Right. Yeah. It, it goes, it reminds me of what I was saying earlier about, you know, all relationships are going somewhere. And in these opportunities, like, you could say, okay, if it's a great day, all screens are off outside. You're creating a moment of connection. You're creating an opportunity that's different than the regular every single day. And these things are going to bind in your child's brain and they're going to remember that. It's going to feel safe. It's going to feel secure. And when there's something going on in their life, where they're going to go, they're going to go to where it's safe and secure. And that's you because you've created that space for it. So it's like, these little moments where we can connect, connect with our children, it doesn't have to be grandiose, just small little things. Let's, let's turn off all the screens and do a puzzle together. Yeah. Or what do you want to do, right? Yeah. Like, let's bake. Because let's bake. <laughs> yeah, you want to build a fort? You want to tell me a story that never ends with like 5 million tangents? Yeah. Let me brace myself to be present in your play. <laughs> you yes. know um and 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 not be on my phone distracted while you're trying to get my attention so and also i think it's okay to have some screen time generations generations are also very interesting right when mm -hmm. i was a child like we did do a lot of play um and TVs were kind of new ish in terms of like the everyone was having one in color or multiple and it was kind of a babysitter sometimes, but it didn't interfere with the play, you know, at least for me, like I was always playing while something was on in the background, but it was balanced. But I, I, and the computer was something very special once in a while that was like a treat, but in schools, we never had any screens. My parents never had a phone, a cell phone that they were on. I never had, you know, I had like an, a, a Game Boy, right mm -hmm. and you know I liked video games and Game Boys and sometimes I did you know in the middle of the night like get up and want to play and mm -hmm. there had to be you know some regulation around that but it wasn't um 
now it's different now because it's everywhere there's more control over it as of before like 30 years ago it was a treat it was something special and also there was so many other things going on it wasn't happening in in many different contexts right it was like Mm -hmm. only something that happened after school after the sports after the piano and then there was that little window for it Mm -hmm. I know yeah sorry go ahead no no I was just thinking about what came up was building habits modeling how to build habits with your children and modeling how to bring in new behaviors that are better for you but are still foreign and that's kind of what parents are doing like we're trying to better ourselves yeah and at the same time model behaviors and if if we if we especially if you've got teens in your life your teens are like looking at you like wait a second you didn't always do that and they're going to challenge the the old you, the new you, and the new, the you that you want to be, you know, there's going to yes. challenge all that. So modeling, like you were saying before, like if someone was going through the recovery process, model that, model that imperfection, model that you're trying to get back on the, a, a, a better, a better path for you. We are always growing. Like we're always parenting ourselves and growing we're not finished yet. We're not uh, fully baked yet and, and modeled. <laughs> never will be. And never will be. So yeah. instead of saying, oh, I have to show my children and my teens to be this perfect version, don't be perfect, you know. And mm-hmm. adolescence is a very interesting age. Um, that would be great for us to talk a little bit about because so many firsts happen for adolescents, right? Their first... Um, like breakup, first romantic feelings, first friendship betrayal, like happens at that age. And who teaches them what a healthy friendship is, right? What a healthy mm-hmm. relationship is. Um, ideally, you know, we say, okay, yeah, they, they're going to learn that in school. Some schools will find, like I've done special workshops for teenagers to talk about healthy relationships, but not all schools are going to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's an age and development where healthy relationships um, very much have an imprint. So what's a healthy relationship? What's not a healthy relationship? And as adults, we have to ask ourselves then, do I know what a healthy relationship is? Yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 I actually wrote this down in some, one of my notes. Like, you know, if um, let's just say, because children usually, if they're fighting or getting to an argument, especially young children, they'll be more physical. But as we get older, we're more you know, aware and we use our words to fight. And so I was thinking about when a- adults are seeing or observing their children engaging in you know, arguments with their friends or having issues with a neighbor or whatever. And then I, I wrote, um, how can you align with your child where they are at, in their life right now? So are you having difficulties with colleague at work? or with your parent or your, 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 your spouse or your sibling, how can you align with your child that's having trouble with other people in relationships? Like there's some kind of connection that you can bridge this gap so to have that conversation. Like I've, you know, I had an issue with, um, you know, Linda in the office the other day and this is kind of how I handled it. Not necessarily sharing all the details, but the feelings that you went through yeah the, you know the feelings because, and the strategies for how you yeah, feel, yeah. And, and the thing is and then I was thinking about one parent that I was speaking to they're like what if you don't have those strategies as an adult what if you're not even aware 
that you need to change those strategies as an adult. Mm. Right. I mean, that's, that's the parent's process, right? Yeah. To say, hmm. and, and sometimes children are that mirror that teach us, right? Oh, I don't yeah. know how to help them through this. Actually, now that I'm seeing them struggle, I'm realizing I really struggle with that too. Okay, yeah. I can't model to them until I, first of all, I have to acknowledge that this is something I'm struggling with. And then yeah. to, to, to have some alone time to work, on, work through their issue and then to say, hey, you know what? I found a, 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 a guidance counselor or I talked to a friend or I've been doing some self-work on my friendships because I realized I struggle with that. And I'm seeing that you're also struggling with that. And it's a way of really bonding between the generations. And it's not about like your teenagers, your friend, but you can have friendly moments. Like you can also be friends in those moments. Say, so let's go out for lunch and talk about these, this, this friendship, you know, fight you just had. Like, that's what I would do with you if, you know, like you were having a hard moment with somebody in your life, we would bond over it right? We can also bond with our children over their adversities and their relationships and be mm-hmm. supportive um, and, and share a little too for, with what we're going through without making them take care of us. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, that, that's that really fine line because, see, I just don't agree with being friends with your child before they're 25 <laughs> just because of all this stuff. They, but everybody has a different opinion, but that's just me. And it's, it's, it, there's a fine line too, again, what friendship means, because I just mean like, I don't want to be jumping on my child because no. it's not, you know, their burden. And sometimes we do that with our friends. And then it makes me think about what we want to create. You know, I just think having a support group for parents to be able to share this process yes. so that they can fine tune what they're going to share with their child to develop that secure relationship so that later on in life, when they're 40 years old, you can sit down and chat with your friend slash child. Right. Because you're in that, you're in that mature space, right? Because share, I, yeah, I teenagers guess, are smart. They are smart. <laughs> and I don't necessarily mean like go full fledged with like being friends with your teenager. Um, definitely. You're not going to share at the same degree, but to yeah. maybe start normalizing like, Hey, in these moments we need friends and yeah. we yes. sometimes going doing an activity right can feel good and i can be that support for you in this moment like to go shopping or to you know to do an activity to help you feel better it can be a friend like intention but mm-hmm. this, the hierarchy is still there you know what i mean and and yeah it never kind of goes top down like you know you're never going to to offload all of your problems onto your child but when you're modeling sometimes you know you just have to share what you feel you've already digested enough that you feel comfortable to talk about yeah right not stuff that if it's too raw and and you don't feel stable around talking about it then that's not energy you want to put on your teenager Mm -hmm. or your child you know or Mm -hmm. even a friend sometimes right that's sometimes stuff we want to be there's emotional labor there that we want Mm -hmm. to be yeah, but I think you're right. Like, that's where a support group is great. Yeah. To have places where we can say, oh, I just need to fall apart here. And to get that, and to get that help, you know, because no one teaches us <laughs> how to do any of this. It's just expected that it happens in invisible work. And it's okay mm-hmm. to, 
to make the invisible visible is very grounding for anxiety with both adults and children. Yes, absolutely. If any listeners out there are interested in joining a support group for parents, you know, drop us a line. We are always open to, um, to feedback and it's also builds our momentum to get these, these, these um, resources available. Exactly. We would love to know which um, topics and issues are of interest to you, which podcasts have brought up things that you would like to bring to those support groups and to give us that feedback so we can hold space and start those conversations. Well, Lorraine, I think it was so wonderful to be able to explore this topic today and to clarify and to to have this, yeah, discussion around modeling and it's in flux as parenting is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to the Star Parent today and the Star Parent podcast. Um, what does parenting mean to you? What does modeling in parenting mean to you? We'd love to get your feedback on that. Um, and you can always find us online. We have an Instagram account um, at the Star Parent Podcast. You can also check out our podcast on the various podcast platforms and give us your feedback. Give us a like or a follow, but also tell us which episodes you like, which episodes you want more of, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for uh, listening to us today. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.